Ian Blackford, right, said in his question, in one of his questions to the Prime Minister, he said that uh, the Prime Minister is not fit for office when he was referring to what the Prime Minister said in his callous comments about over 80-year-olds being dying to COVID, saying, you know, get COVID, live longer. If, if you if you lot really think he is not fit for public office, where is the call for the... where why, why is nobody bringing a motion to Parliament of no confidence in the Prime Minister? Because that's how you that's how you get him off. That's how you get an election. You trigger an election, or you 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 remove him from office. If you really think he is not fit for public office, why are these guys not bringing to Parliament a motion of no confidence? Welcome to the Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a Black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines, and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Mr. Speaker, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Prime Minister. Do you, do you want me to give that answer again? Oh, don't worry. Just complete the end I'm bit. Very happy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is our last show of the season, uh, episode 15. Thank you so much for everybody who's listened so far. Uh, Parliament does rise. Uh, well, rose on Thursday uh, for their summer recess. So Parliament has gone on break until September. So there'll be no more Prime Minister's questions, I'm afraid, after this week. But this week, as you heard at the start then, with that little clip from this week's Prime Minister's questions, uh, it really was, it really did sum up everything about this virtual life that we've been living for the past almost 18 months. Because even in Parliament, you can't escape the classic, is this mic on? Can you hear me? Oh, my connection's gone. <laughs> yes, so we had Boris. Obviously, uh, he was isolating because he's been pinged by the NHS app. He was uh, joining, instead of joining from the dispatch box in Westminster, he was dis- he was joining from his leafy Checkers mansion, which is the Prime Minister's country retreat. Uh, so he was there uh, on video. This week also was the 60th anniversary of Prime Minister's Questions, this great institution of British politics where the Prime Minister is grilled weekly by MPs. Uh, It began in 1961 under the Prime Minister at the time, who was Harold Macmillan. Uh, For those who have watched The Crown, played by that guy who's always playing smarmy characters. I don't know if Harold Macmillan was smarmy. Maybe some of our elderly listeners, uh, if you remember Harold Macmillan, might be able to answer that one. Anyway, moving on swiftly to the substance. Yes, so Prime Minister's question this week. Again, Keir Starmer got up to ask his six questions of the Prime Minister, followed by Ian Blackford, the, the leader of the SNP, asking his two questions. As regular listeners know, I don't listen to all of the other questions because the other questions, half of them are from sycophantic conservative MPs who basically ask, well, don't really ask questions. They get up to post statements as questions to the effect of, does my right honourable friend think he's doing a marvellous job? And the other questions are from Labour MPs or other opposition MPs. Uh, I've grown tired. Even me, who does a politics podcast, I've grown tired of listening to the others. So I... Uh, bring you every week, yes, of course, a little rundown of what was being asked by the leader of the opposition and the leader of the second opposition party, second one of note, anyway, the SNP. So Keir Starmer this week split his questions up. They were essentially a mixture of asking the Prime Minister about the inconsistencies around the whole NHS, uh, the track and trace app that pings you to isolate if you've been, you know, hanging around somebody who's uh, tested positive for COVID. His next set of questions was about this proposal to bring in vaccine ID cards from September. So places like clubs, people have to be proof, people have to prove that they have had two vaccinations, which 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised now, but it's just another policy which it's like, wait, that's coming from a conservative government? Okay. Um, so you know, listen, that <laughs> we've we've already been over that a lot of time, a lot in this in this. Um, and the last couple of questions was related to Dominic Cummings is yet another we've had yet another um, entry into our lives from Dominic Cummings the former chief of staff to the prime minister who gave an interview to none other than Laura Koonsberg who is the uh, I think she's the political editor for the BBC on uh, Tuesday evening <clears throat> so uh, a couple of those uncomfortable points that he raised were, were brought up by by Starmer Blackford also brought them up too in his questions so yes, you know, as I said, he was asking him about the inconsistencies in in both the the messaging and the application of this whole pinging thing. Because we've, I think, this week, this last week, we had half a million people pinged by the NHS app, telling them to isolate because they'd come into contact with somebody who had tested positive for coronavirus. And you know, we had different ministers, different messages coming from different ministers. And Keir Starmer made a point of this. You know, he said one minister said that uh, the the public should make informed decisions about what they do if they've been pinged another minister suggesting that it was the the, the pinging to isolate was just advisory um you know and he and he also raised the point of the fact that conveniently the prime minister and the chancellor who were who are both isolating were part of some pilot program where they were not going to isolate however they were forced to isolate just due to the the sheer embarrassment of the fact that you know people asking the question why did the prime minister and the chancellor get to avoid this so they were they forced to do a U-turn um, on pretty much the day it came out last weekend. You know, so he he again Starmer beat on this point that he's been using over the past few weeks in his public uh, spars with the Prime Minister and and otherwise, where he's you know constantly refers to this coming summer of chaos. And I guess we're in a bit of a summer of chaos already, not coming, you know, because he mentioned the fact that just last week one million kids um were 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 in, were, were out of school. A million kids were out of school because, again, they had to isolate this, this whole, you know, as many of you would have seen in the news with children having to isolate because of the, the bubbles and all of that mess. You got literally a million kids last week isolating from school. And he was really harping on the fact and making good points about this just constant different kinds of messaging, chaos, just uh, inconsistent policies when it comes to lockdown, um, which is great, which is true. And the Prime Minister had a bit of a response, essentially saying that, look, if it wasn't for them, the if it wasn't for if, if we were left to Labour, we, you know, we, again, he harped on if it was left to Labour, we would have been forced to comply with the European Medical Agency, we would have been still in the EU and we wouldn't have had the vaccination programme at all, which was a clear lie. Now, we're going to speak in the second uh, section about, of the show about Dawn Butler, who was a Labour MP who was kicked out of Parliament this week for a day for calling the Prime Minister a liar. There was one lie straight he gave in Prime Minister's question there. Like, it was a, a bold-faced lie because he, he literally, he said, he said, and I'm sure he meant to, he, he maybe meant to say the vaccination programme might have been a bit slower. He said, he just flat out said we wouldn't have had, um, the vaccination programme wouldn't have happened if we were in the EMA, if we were, if we were bound by, by those terms of the EMA. So... Summer made you know, good points about how it's just uh, there's, there's been inconsistencies, and he brought he brought through that inconsistency point when he was speaking about the uh, the September this this proposal in September for vaccine ID cards. Um, again, another story where you're thinking: Is this a conservative government? A conservative government bowing to authoritarianism, to telling people how to live, what to put in their body? You know, to me, it's just a stupid policy. On a, a number of fronts, two main fronts. Number one, Starmer raised it quite. It was a sensible question. The first point, the first 
um, stupidity element in this one was this. He said, look, if you're telling people to, I, to if you're saying that from September, you're going to have to be double jabbed. Well, why from September? Why not from now? Why not now? You know, if you're saying that to be set to, to ensure safety from coronavirus in environments like clubs, where yes, there's close contact, people are going to be spreading the virus all over the place. But, you know, science, just the science tells us that. Why are you not bringing in this policy for now of double jab, double having people doubly jabbed? To which the prime minister responded, "Look, it's obviously it's mainly about 18 to 30 year olds because they're the most they're the majority who visit clubs. Um, so we're we're giving them a chance. They what they have not had the chance to be double vaccinated yet because they only brought in obviously the the opportunity for those age groups to get jabbed only recently." And on the face of it, that seems like a good a good point. Fair enough. You can't be telling people that they have to be doubly jabbed now when they've not had the chance to be doubly jabbed. Okay, cool. But hold on. The whole point of this is to keep those environments safe, to keep to keep people in those environments safe. So so why not then just delay the opening of those environments until September? Now, I am not I am not one to be preaching for lockdown. Like I want I want to be free. Everybody wants to be free. Obviously, we have to balance that balance. There's a balance of risk. So I'm not trying to preach lockdown at all, but if that is the idea, and yes, that is the scientific, that's just, that, that's the science, you know, we're not anti-vaxxers here, we're not, anti, we're, not pan, we're not scamdemic proponents here, we believe that this thing is real, the pandemic is real, the science is real, so if that is the case, then in my opinion, so this is me now, why not just delay the opening of clubs and places like that till September? Now this policy, I don't agree with it on ideological grounds at all, like why are you forcing effectively forcing people to be vaccinated just to enter these places, ridiculous. But if you are going to do that, then delay the opening till September. We're already 300 plus billion in debt due to coronavirus. What's a couple, what's a, What's another 40 million pounds that's that it's gonna take to support clubs and places like that for another month and a half till September, yeah? So, but the second point of this is this, the second stupidity element for me is this. Now, Stammer didn't raise this, I, I wish an MP would. It's just playing into the anti-vaxxer conspiracies. It's conspiracy theorists. It's playing into these people who keep telling us, oh, the government, it's all a scam. The government are doing this to control, blah, 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 blah. It's just playing into that. So who, which civil servant, which policy wonk thought this was a good idea? I have no idea. I'll take their job because they don't know what they're doing, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, the last question, as I said, was about referring to uh, what we now know the Prime Minister said to Dominic Cummings, the now released WhatsApp messages where he was talking about how <clears throat> the, the, the people who, most of the people who are dying from coronavirus were over 80. Um, and and he, he made a flippant comment about get COVID, live longer, because the essentially the average age that people were dying was slightly older than the average general life expectancy in, in the country. Um, and so he was called to apologize both by Starmer in his last question and Blackford in his first question. They both called on him to apologize for obviously callous, wicked, in my opinion, comments. He didn't apologize. Uh, Starmer, both of them took a different tack. So Starmer was more, um, you know, uh, diplomatic in his in his questioning of this, these comments, whereas Blackford just straight came out and said, look, this prime minister is not fit for office to be having such a glib attitude to human life. So he did refuse to apologize. He didn't apologize. You know, he spoke about his words being mischaracterized. But crucially, he's not denied saying this and he's never denied saying these comments. And he can't. Now. We've seen the WhatsApp messages. But he, his main answer really was about, you know, the balance of risk. You know, talking about obviously there are there have been physical and health elements, physical health elements to lock to, to uh, COVID. But then lockdown also has the the the, the added mal effects of life, decreasing life choice chances and 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 
and impacting people's mental health. So that those were the, 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 the last comment from Starmer, last question from Starmer, first question from Blackford. Blackford's last question was essentially about the coming public inquiry. So we've been promised this public inquiry on, on COVID, when's it happening? And he was very clear in saying that the prime minister should make sure this inquiry happens before the next election. And also that he should be still prime minister essentially so that he can be brought and to answer questions under oath. And I, when we've spoken about this inquiry on the show in the past few weeks, I've, I am a very strong advocate of this inquiry needs to happen as soon as possible, not kicking it into the long grass in 2023 when Boris is out or, or 2024 after the next election. No, it needs to be done before because the people who made the decisions need to be still in power so that they can be called to account for what's happened and for what's not happened. So he promised, however, he promised to, he said that it's going to happen in the spring, which is earlier than what it, it was originally proposed for later. So it seems now that they're proposing it for next spring, this public inquiry into COVID-19. I mean, I will wait to see that happen. I will not be surprised that if come the end of this year, it gets forgotten. And then the start of next year, people are like, wait, this is happening in spring, right? And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to do it at the end of the year now instead. I wouldn't be surprised. So I'm not holding my breath, but I hope it happens in spring. He made a, he, you know, his response has been his response that it's always been. We can't do it right now because the people who are going to be asking, answering questions are, you know, knee deep in, in still fighting the pandemic, which again, ostensibly is a, seems like a decent reason not to have it like right now, but it needs to happen as soon as possible. Spring, in my opinion, should be the latest it should be happening. But uh, let's see if it actually does happen. So this week, Dominic Cummings gave his exclusive interview to Laura Koonsberg, the political editor of the BBC. It was previously revealed when he gave his statement to Parliament previously that um, Laura Koonsberg was somebody that he used to brief regularly to give context or to brief on the context that it, she should use for any um, political stories that the government was trying to put out there or was quote unquote leaked. He was often her government source. So of course he went back to her to give what I think people thought would be a spicy interview, but I didn't think was that spicy in, uh, spicy of an interview. You know, he sort of trotted out his usual stuff. He called Boris a shopping trolley, said that generally the, um, the government and Boris was a shambles. He did say that both he and Boris thought it was actually ludicrous for that he was going to become prime minister at all. I mean, the majority of sensible people think, think slash thought it was ludicrous that Boris became PM, you know, but as many people have said that they think this was a um, protest vote. Some of the key points that I picked up from the interview were he wasn't really sure if he thought that the referendum was a good choice or even Brexit was a good choice. But he also did say, you know, anybody who is um, gung-ho or, you know, is explicit in the fact that they think that Brexit is a good choice is an idiot because we don't know what Brexit's going to be. It was a, it was a choice, he says, and you know, at the time he thought it was the best option for the country, but now that it's here, he's not hundred percent sure whether it was a good idea or not. I mean, considering he was the one of the key architects of the Leave campaign and bringing about the referendum and the government, this government following the referendum, it is a little bit scary to hear him say that, um, I mean, what? And now, and, and now, sorry, he's left us with Boris Johnson in charge. So that I thought was an interesting point. What also I think was an interesting point, but it's something that he's also said before is that 
uh, Johnson is often led by the people who are closest to him or who are in the room at the time. So at, the, at this moment in time, it's his wife who is often leading his decisions or manipulating his deci- decisions, as he has described. Boris has been quite malleable. And I think what was else, which was something that was led within the newspapers, was Boris's at first his approach to COVID was it's only killing the over 80s so why should we even be bothering about it like it's fine let's pretend it doesn't exist you know keep the economy open and keep going oh and actually sorry because I just think this is really was quite to me poignant is the fact that he called the telegraph his um real boss and they obviously were very much against lockdowns they were very much an anti-lockdown newspaper and have been anti all of the lockdowns so he often described them as his real boss and Laura did push back on that and sort of saying do you think that it's okay he calls him his real boss do you think it's a joke you know what does that mean for us as a country if the prime minister answers to this well it was essentially what Dominic Cummings described as we which sounded like some sort of secret cabal that was leading Boris to whatever decision they thought were the right ones and also the Telegraph, and also his fiance. These are the people that are leaving, leading the um, prime minister slash government of this country. It is not based on policy. He's not listening to experts. It's not. It's not Id- even ideological or what he thinks is best. It's whoever gets him at the time and pushes their point the most. That was what I thought was the most interesting things to get from this uh, the interview. Everything else, you know, was just you know, f- it was interesting. It was part um, Westminster gossip, which is always fun to hear as really and truly I think the best reality TV that we've lived through in this past 18 months has been politics but those were to me anyway what I picked out as the key things I thought were spicy-ish from the interview but if you read Dominic's Substack, which I do you've heard a lot and you follow him on Twitter which I also do you, you have heard a lot of this stuff as well I mean to me the funniest thing that Dominic Cummings has said is um calling him a shopping trolley I think that's quite funny you know not hilarious, but you know, Vance. What did he mean by that shopping trolley? That he just rolls around bumping into things, being useless. oh right, yeah, yeah. okay, 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 yeah, yeah. That's that definitely fits. Oh, and he also called Dan, wasn't the the clown prince of the media or something like that, which I thought was hilarious. Who? Is it Dan Wooten? Dan Wooten, the guy who's on GB News. He does oh, no, his GB News section segment every evening. Ooh. Not that I watch. Oh, it. So you you still watch it? I don't watch it. I just see it on Twitter a lot. I see his Corey, videos. Don't lie. That's your fave. You watch it every morning, isn't I it? I don't watch TV news at so you, all. So you can get your you can get your right wing injected into your veins before you go out into the world and advocate for the free market. I I don't watch TV news mm, partly because till I die. No, partly because the audio is so bad. I mean, they've still not managed the studio. No, I mean, who Dan does Wooten. their design? Their design is terrible. Studio audio is bad. Like, Dan Hodges, not Dan Wooten, Dan Hodges. Oh, Dan Hodges. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tr- Johnson was always described, wasn't he, as the, uh, well, during the Trump era, he was described as the, he was described as Trump with brains or, or a clever Trump. <clears throat> and Clever? Well, that's what wow. he was described as. I mean, to be honest, it's a bit, it's, it's a low bar. Let's be honest. Um, oh, you know, okay. yeah, true, true. Clever. But, um, no, no, but, but he was, he was, you know, he's put across as, you know, the Latin speaking Trump, you know, the one who went to Oxford. Just because you can speak Latin, you know, <laughs> doesn't but, make you smart. You know, I, think, I could say, like, you know, Domino, like, please, Pax, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Carpe diem. So we added infinitum, like, oh, please. <laughs> 
Carpe diem. This anyway. is what I mean. Like, so this is why, as we're described as like a forelock tugging a, a nation that loves that like loves to bootlick. Because man can say two two Latin words and says pomp and circumstance and says epidemiological quiver of arrows like then and people are like oh yeah mm, he's so smart and intelligent oh I do love the upper class who tell me what to do sir oh yes you can step on me as you cross over this puddle like get a grip you losers and have some self esteem like just because people went to eat and it doesn't mean they're not better than you like love like they're not better than you love yourselves come on now please. I mean- it, during during a, the Trump comparison, you know, it was it was said about Trump that he was just influenced by the last person in the room. So people would deliberately leave the last person in the room, and he'd only read the top of the pile. So people would leave him. Would would whatever they wanted him to do. Like this was uh, top secretaries, top cabinet secretaries. They they basically just leave what they wanted, their proposal as the top sheet. And obviously, it'd only be five lines because he couldn't read past like half a page um but also what they do is they'd make sure they were the last person in the room so that that's what he'd go with and it's kind of scary to think that boris johnson is the same like operates in the same way um that basically last person in the room and how easy is it then to be to make sure in this way has he always operated in this way is he just tired you know is he so busy you know fathering children is he just knackered that i don't well, I mean, one. to put it politely, he doesn't have the greatest work ethic, does he? And I think mm. that's probably the basis of. But he's writing this book, isn't he? He's writing that book on. Yeah, because he needs the money. He needs money. Yeah, he's true. he's broke. He needs cash. That's why he's writing the book. He's not writing a book because he loves work. He's writing a book because <laughs> because he needs money for his fifteen kids and his and his oh. two ex wives, and and his new kid who he needs to send to Eton, and he can't do that on his hundred and fifty grand a year. He private can't society. get. He can't get. A, he can't get a scholarship for Eton. Well, I don't yeah, XPM gets Eton scholarships. But um, but yeah, Miserly, it's, isn't it? Well, exactly. Um, but but it's no surprise. Like I, I think that one of the like you mentioned it. One of the big things that came out of that interview was basically neither of them taking Johnson, or so Johnson not taking himself seriously, and Cummings not taking Johnson seriously, and others not taking him seriously as a as a you know a proper prime minister. But that's not really news. I mean, well, it is news in it to I guess to some people. Um, but you know, the a cursory knowledge of the inner workings of the Tory party, you know that the only, the only reason that Johnson was elected was because he was seen as electable, not because he was seen as mm. some great competent prime minister. No, but also I think Dominic did also say, like you know, at, be- the, at the time it was um between um Boris and Michael Gove. And it fell on Boris, you know, that's just where the, the way that the cookie crumbled. And they were like, he was the least bad option in terms of, he was the, he was the least bad choice between Boris and Corbyn. He said, you know, that party yeah. politics is failing. But think and about that Boris it. is the least bad choice between Boris and Corbyn. I have thought about it. And sh- okay. <laughs> no, what I mean is, when I say think about it, I mean yeah, in terms least of... least bad choice, indeed, sure. No, not so least bad choice. I mean, I mean, between, if you look at, say, Gove, look at, this is going back, what, two, I'm being sarcastic, people. I just want you to know there's no way that I ever think that Boris Johnson is the least bad choice between Boris and Jeremy Corbyn, because this Boris isn't going to give 32 billion to his mates, but, you know... You see, between Gove and, between Gove and Johnson, like, Gove would probably... Corbyn would have would have would have run Gove a lot closer to the line, whereas Johnson, as was predicted and as was predicted correctly, would beat him, and he did. Um, mm. and that's it's the only true. reason it's why true. he was chosen. Gove wouldn't have. I mean, he might have beaten Corbyn, but he would have had a, a much more difficult time because obviously, yeah, it's not because he's not likable. He's number one. He's not likable. People don't like him. But also, Weird that's, face. That's, so that's internal, but externally, he's got problems too. It's not even the Coke before. stuff as well with Gove. It's like it's just like mm, no, and like. Whereas Boris, like you say, is, you know, easily influenced, doesn't really care. 
Michael Gove like ha- b- believes in his politics. You know what I mean? Yeah, like but has- uh, and that's but that's part of the reason. That's part of the reason why he was the 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 the, the worst option out of the two because he believes in his politics because he was education secretary. Do you remember he was education secretary? Oof, like all the teachers really hated him. Like he yeah. he didn't have a great track record as a cabinet secretary. He was apparently okay as environment secretary, but who knows what he who who cares about that position? But as education secretary, he was hated. I mean, all the flooding, we probably should, you know. Well, indeed. John Butler, MP, former shadow minister, now discarded to the back benches under Keir Starmer, was kicked out of the Commons this week. She was kicked out on Thursday uh, during a debate in, in the House. She called the Prime Minister a liar. She was invited to retract her comment by the Deputy Speaker. Auntie Dawn proceeded to get back up, take her feet and said, no. I shall not. Well, she didn't say that, but she refused to retract her statement. She refused to retract her accusation, calling the right honourable Boris Johnson a liar. Um, And for that, she was kicked out of Parliament for the day. Uh, She was uh, told to remove herself from the chamber and she she wasn't allowed back in for the rest of the day. Um, Caused a bit of a brouhaha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Joke. I mean, look, I, I personally don't have a problem with it, but I see where other people who do have a problem with it come from. Because, <laughs> you know, you got to see both but, sides, right? Do you have to see both sides? Well, no, I mean, look. How look. many, is it every day <laughs> do you have to see both sides? And, what, and when do you not see the both sides, Corey? Hmm? It's probably an open-minded. So, you don't um, tire. You don't so, tire, please. Every day, both sides. No, the thing is, no, so there are... Sometimes there are, my side. There are rules in the house. There are rules. Um, there are there rules are, are many to be rules. Broken. Many rules. There's many, many rules. Yeah. Many standing there, it orders. It used to be a rule that women couldn't vote. Was that right? No, well, it was changed. Huh? Well, yeah, but when it wasn't changed, was it right? Uh, listen, are I'm rules not... right? No, are bad rules right? I'm so you should. So you should never go against rules. You know, Rosa Parks should have never not stood up, should she? She should have been. She should have moved because that was the rule. Mongoose. Don't be silly. Listen, rules are meant to be broken because I... they're wrong. I'm not saying she shouldn't have said it. I'm just saying there's well, a reason why she... You see the both sides I'm and to, the other side. I'm trying to explain why she was kicked out of the house for saying it. On, she was kicked explain. out because... I'll quiet. The rules, rules of etiquette, rules on how MPs are supposed to conduct themselves in debates, standing... I mean, it was a, a bit... You know, um, you're not allowed to call other people in the house liars. I am not saying you shouldn't be able to. I'm glad she did it. And people should, you know, it's supposed to be the mother of parliaments. Um, people can't speak their mind. Um, and uh, part of what I've seen online as well is, oh, it's just, you know, it's just invective. It's just, she's just, you know, calling him names. But she wasn't. She gave a uh, three-minute speech. Yes, she called him a liar, but she backed it up. So for me, it's like, okay, I can exactly. kind of see the evidenced. point. You know, it's not like she was just throwing around um, accusations. She wasn't just throwing around names. She was, somebody said calling names. She wasn't calling names. You know, she, 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 said what she said but she backed it up she gave reasons as to why she said he's lied and lied and lied and lied again um so yeah <laughs> i mean what is what is the word that you used for somebody who consistently tells untruths knowingly and continually well is the thing is not- a liar. Those rules. I mean, the rules are so. And also, arcane. those rules. Exactly, the rules are arcane. But um, she couldn't. Even, within twenty twenty one. Even if she'd have said untruths, she probably still would have been um, censured for that because it, it, there's this sort of unsaid. It's just a sort of you know, it's a pantomime, isn't it? We know it's a pantomime because you know, there's there's this oh no and hey, hey, and all that 
crap. But in addition to that, that's sort of the, the obvious pantomime. There's this other pantomime where people have to dance around and dance around mm-hmm. in terms of saying what they really think, but, you know, they have to dress it up in these other words. And they've got to ask questions where instead of giving statements, because if they gave it as a statement, it would be considered, you know, all this crap when we all know what, what people mean. Well, it's, so the rule, it's the people rules of, you know, it's the rules of being a gentleman from the 1800s. We're not, Indeed. you know... You know, like that was in the days of feudalism and lords and, you know, large scale land owners. Yeah, I I know that we still have laws, but we don't have laws in the same way. Like, it's not like, allow me to finish the the point before you. I'm not saying that laws don't exist. I'm saying laws and how they existed in a feudal way. That was that is what these are based. This is based on. That's what these rules are based on. We do not have laws in a feudal way now. You know, so it's kind of like. Let's update. Let's update the rules of the commons. We have women are allowed in the commons now. <laughs> Ethnic minorities are allowed in the commons now. So let's move on with the times. This is if we can't, if you cannot call out specifically members of parliament or who are held to the standard that they don't lie. That is why this is a rule because MPs are believed to be of unimpeachable honesty. That is supposed to be part of the role that you're supposed to tell the truth. So it's supposed to be a slur, essentially, when you call them a liar, because I'm a member of parliament. Why would I dare lie? I was voted in. I'm here to represent my constituency. I'm here on their behalf. I could never be a liar, especially as the prime minister. Me lie never. And yet our prime minister is a consistently proven liar. And if members of parliament, if his peers at his job who are meant to hold him to account cannot call him out on that and be supported by the speaker of the house, what is the point of parliament? Why do we have the parliament? Why do we have the press? Why do we have why you know why do we have checks and balances? We might as well just be a um, dictatorship and keep it moving. Well, it was telling that she didn't really get much support from um, the big names in the Labour Labour Party. Um, well, we know why that is, don't we? Yeah, I mean, there was nothing. I, I was going through a, quite a few of their Twitter feeds, and I was like, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's like not even. You know, they don't have to come out and 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 wholeheartedly say, yes, he's a liar. You know, if they want to save face in that way, fine. But they don't have to completely just abandon even the the essence of what she was saying, the the, the, the basis to what she was saying. Um, but again, that's because we have no opposition. Um, mm. We have no opposition, not just not just the leader, but just, you know, the entire front bench. It's just a, a waste of time. And the we, Labour we... cabinet party line, but the general Labour party line, specifically the party line, of the cabinet is essentially we agree with the government until we don't <laughs> it is it's a, we agree with the government that is why just to bring in another point here i don't know if everybody's heard that you know the government has agreed for a three percent rise in nurses wages when um the previous labor manifesto called for a 12 percent rise i believe I believe it was for nurses wages when they were called on that um, when we were talking about a pay rise, when they were saying that they were only going to give a 1% pay rise, Labour said, no, we don't stick to 12%. No, we don't stick to 12%. But we say at least the minimum should be 2.1%. Everybody who was Labour members and Labour supporters said that is ridiculous. You should at least be calling for 5%. One, because then the Tory party cannot outflank you on a 5%. They can either agree to the 5%, which is, yay, great for nurses, or it will be lower, which is then something that you can then hammer them on from the left about you know, not supporting our key workers in a time of national crisis where they stepped up to the plate. However, they called for a 2.1%. They have now been outflanked by the Tory party by calling for 3%. So that you can't even outleft the Tory party. What is the, you can't outleft the Tory party on lying. You can't outleft the Tory party on wages for nurses. 
who would you know statistically generally unionized support and you know support um either left-wing policies or specifically left-wing policies policies that pertain to their um, jobs you can't even do that so you can't even get supported from the nurses because why should they support you when you called for 2.1 percent yeah now they've when the tories are calling for three percent just consistently caught on the back foot you Keir Starmer should be bringing this up why is he not this is something that he could be hammering home leading leading it in the front pages of the papers you know our prime minister is a liar what are we going to do about it we can't even call him out in parliament what are we going to do about it nothing I'm doing thought of the week this week. It isn't really a thought this week on a political story. It's more of a thank you. Uh, this is, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is the last of our regular weekly shows for this season. Uh, we started this podcast in April. We've been talking about it on WhatsApp since probably like last April, thinking, oh, we should do a podcast show. We should talk about politics. Anyway, we finally pulled our finger out. We started it in April and it's been uh, it's been a pretty good run. Thank you so much for all of the comments, the public ones, the private ones. Uh, it's been really helpful. It's been really encouraging. Neither of us have actually ever done a podcast before. So it was great to, I guess, just hear that we were doing it semi-competently. No, well, semi-competently on my part, my co-host doing it 100% competently. Um, but really, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, it's been, like I said, it's been really fun. We'll be back in September when Parliament returns with our weekly regular shows. And uh, But in between then, we'll be still bringing a couple of special shows in the summer. So please watch out for that in August. We'll be bringing out at least two shows, one of them specifically on Brexit. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Everybody loves Brexit. We did promise to do that a couple of weeks ago, a show on Brexit. But we thought, let's do it in the summer when we're not distracted by the regular weekly political goings on. So we'll be bringing that. And the other show we undecided on. I want to do a show on uh, something specifically on Caribbean politics. Uh, we'll have to decide that with my co-host uh, and then we'll be bringing that. So yeah, keep up, look out for that. Share, like, subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe. And as I said, a couple of shows in the summer and we'll be back with our regular weekly roundup, news, analysis, opinions, and everything in between of British politics and politics across the pond from September. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.